Welcome to episode six, season one of Life After PhD, where it is my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Michelle Veldsman, who is currently the head of R&D or research and development in neuroscience at Cambridge Cognition. She was a longtime academic as well, holds a PhD in a psychology neuroscience field and is currently still using a lot of those skills, but in a much more commercial role. So she has some great insight on what led her to make some big life changes. And she also has done a great service for people seeking to get out of academia, not necessarily because academia is a bad place to be, but they wanted a change. She's developed a ton of resources and also just, you know, in her spare time runs a startup. So She's a bit of a rock star. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome you to the Life After PhD podcast. And I never introduce my guests because you do it better. <laughs> so I'll have you introduce <laughs> yourself. <laughs> ah, thank you. Um, so I'm Dr. Michelle Beltzman, Um, and I have a PhD from the University of Cambridge, um, several years of postdoc experience, and I'm now Director of Neuroscience for Cambridge Cognition and have a side hustle, I guess, as a um, founder of Playroom, which is a technology company for parents. I totally just logged on there today and the website looks awesome and it says coming soon. Oh, yay! <laughs> yes, hopefully. I just got into Tech Nation, which is a big... Uh, accelerator program in the UK. And so I'm hoping that like spurs things on. That'll be awesome. And the funny story mm. for our listeners is that Michelle and I were totally at Cambridge the same time and didn't know each other. <laughs> and then <Yeah>. somehow overlapped <laughs> later for a variety of like in a variety of ways through a yeah. collaborator in Australia we... and then through an yeah. unrelated event. It was, yeah. It was I very, know. I, I don't, I, yeah, many connections that, yeah, are not the obvious one. <laughs> not the obvious ones where we were in the same place at the same time for at least yeah. a year, I think. But yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. But I, I know you've done a lot of learning about transitioning from academia to elsewhere, but I thought maybe we could go a little bit through your adventure through academia and some of the maybe pivotal points where you were thinking... Let's do something else. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there were those, but well, there were a few. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was a sort of ongoing. I always say I sort of slightly had my foot out the door at all times because I knew that it was there was insecurity and nothing was guaranteed. I mean, nothing's ever guaranteed, but um, yeah, I knew I I always had in mind just being really like multi skilled so that you know, that there was very clear skills that I could just translate um, easily into a non-academic career. Um, so, yeah. But it's definitely a couple of very key moments that were like, now is the time to make the move. Yeah, that's interesting. And I know you're a scientist, so yeah. you've you have a lot of key skills in mathematics and other things and project development and whatnot. But when you were kind of thinking before you got to those key moments, how are you thinking about your skills once you graduated from a PhD? Because I think that's really hard to do. Like you think of yourself yeah. as a scientist during your PhD, but then once you're out, even in a postdoc world, you're like, what skills do I have? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I think um, I always thought having leadership is important and being able to like communicate well. Um, and those are things I enjoyed doing anyway, really. So like I would chair committees um, or I would start um, programs like if there wasn't a student postdoc, you know, program, I would start one or mm -hmm. a mentoring program. Um, and I would work my way kind of up in leadership in different, you know, organizations and, and things. And part, part of it, because I, I just really enjoyed that aspect and like working with people and mentoring and doing things like that. But then also yeah. I had in mind, these are the things that make me stand out from just having a PhD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I love people. I feel like that's always a big draw. <laughs> Um, and I feel like not every, I don't know, not every scientist is known for loving people, but you study human behavior too. Yeah, so that makes sense, true. right? Yeah. 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 That's true, actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think probably that helped a lot that I was quite a peoply person. And in fact, the um, my bosses now say that a very big um, part of hiring me was that I have a very large network and that I am oh. um, do. Yeah, like to network. And so, yeah, yeah that was surprising to me because it's a very large academic network, actually, that they were interested in um, because yeah. because the company does collaborate a lot with, with academics. That's fair. That's fair. So you were, you transitioned from a PhD and then I know you did a postdoc in Australia for a little bit of time. Then you came back yeah. to the UK. I'm trying to remember your history. I know I learned it at one point. Um, yeah. When you... <laughs> in the UK is that when you started to really think about transitioning elsewhere yeah I think even through my, my PhD I started to I was building that sort of you know skill set um and not but at that point just like okay just have these backup skills and these things are good for academia anyway so just keep doing these things um, mm -hmm. and then yes exactly postdoc in Australia but actually so slightly just before my postdoc as I was finishing my PhD I ran out of funding, I only had three years of funding and I was going into the fourth year. Um, as I was coming to write up, I ended up going to work at the Department of Energy and Climate Change. Um, oh, I didn't which know is that. A, yeah, it is a, a um, now defunct uh, department, but basically part of UK government, um, civil, civil service. Um, I worked there as a higher statistical officer. So basically modeled gas and oil supplies in the UK um oh. and then the idea yes very random but the idea <laughs> was that you would be able to predict if we had any event coming like you know if there was a strike or there was oh. some kind of blockage to get oil that you know how much how many days do we have until we're like okay we can't function as a country um, that sounds like big states yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was oh it was yeah um and so that was like the first time I was like I just did that literally to pay my living as I wrote my PhD and that was my kind of first experience of having to work with companies um working in civil service um using commercially sensitive data mm -hmm. applying my statistics that had come from you know psychology and neuroscience to this completely different field but you know it's still statistics so so crazy yeah. but also like writing a PhD while working that job sounds insane yeah I used to get up work for a couple of hours 
wake up at like four five a.m. right work at like eight till four thirty five clock off come home right until you know as late as I could before I just went back to sleep planning my wedding at the same time oh and my then a move to Australia <laughs> yeah yeah you so oh that made me tired just listening to that <laughs> so okay so you had you had a little taste which was kind of by necessity you had to pay for you know finishing your PhD yeah. but you had a little taste of non-academia so then you went yeah. to Australia you were were you there then for two went- years Yes, two years. So that that was a postdoc that was kind of lined up um, while I was working in the Department of Energy. So I knew that that was coming. Um, oh. And then, yeah, moved to Australia for two years. Uh, my first postdoc, then to Oxford, to one lab, which right. I didn't, yeah, I didn't fit in. I, I don't know, not the right atmosphere for me. Mm-hmm. Kind of a weird culture. But while I was in Oxford... During my first, when I had my first baby, uh, in that maternity leave, I moved to another lab in Oxford um, Mm. and in total was there for about six years. Um, Yeah, that was that was a mega lab. Yeah, (laughs) a lot going on there. Yeah, big, big lab. Yeah, really great, um, really great lab and really great uh, PI, Mr. Tussain, who was, you know, just an incredibly great leader, great mentor, great uh person in general had a really nice team um so absolutely nothing bad about that lab I mean he literally was like figuring out how to keep my job you know it was a two-year job post and it was like every time just he's trying to figure out how to keep me employed essentially Um, and a big part of it was like I want this (laughs) yeah I mean, yeah, kudos to having those those people on your side. That that makes a huge difference for a yeah, variety of reasons, especially, yeah. I mean, it's probably soft funding, which is what we would call in the States where you're yes. dependent exactly. on grants, which is so hard. Yeah, exactly. Really, really difficult. And yeah, I was so, so grateful for it because by that point I had two kids. And so, you know, I needed to have a salary. Um, and so, yeah, even though he was really working hard to do that for me I still felt like no I need more security than this yeah absolutely I I cannot I I know a lot of people here do soft money jobs and that's their permanent gig in academia where all they do is grant funding and makes me die a little inside (laughs) so yeah I I would feel the exact same I I definitely like hard money salary you know what you're going to expect exactly yeah it doesn't always doesn't always deliver on that so it's fair no kind of yeah stressful but also like practically it was really annoying for like you know every time your contract runs out you have to like reapply for the security cards and the emails and all of that and then my my nursery was actually um partly uh subsidized by the university so it was a university nursery oh, okay which meant mm-hmm. as my contract came up my children's places in the nursery were like vulnerable so I wouldn't be able to use the nursery unless I was an employee of the of oh, the geez. university yeah so then it was just like oh well, this is way too much instability 
yeah, that's <laughs> that's too much brain pain for one person to endure. So that's yeah. that's fair. That's fair. So you started then looking and kind of networking around for non-academic posts. And I know we can yeah. talk more about your LinkedIn kind of experiences that I think you've really helped others to do the same. But what yeah. were you what were you looking for? Do you remember back when you were kind of first looking? Like what kind of jobs were you drawn to or was yeah. it certain? like topics that you were interested in I don't know if you remember that but I do I do I really wanted to keep doing science um and um I didn't so I wasn't totally sure what that looked like um I just set myself up on LinkedIn with all the experience and stuff that I had um Mm -hmm. and then I just started using like their job searching functions and started to um yeah just look at different job spaces basically um I got a ton of data science um you know data science is the most common one there's so many recommendations so many recruiters just saying data science data science data science I didn't really want to do that um because I had I don't even know what data science is (laughs) I need to like it's such a buzzword I'm like I need to probably look up exactly what that means because I get a bunch of those anyway as well yeah I've never actually been sure that is entirely about. I mean, it works really well for some people. So I've got I've got colleagues who left academia as well who've gone into data science and really great for like remote working, flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're not super people fronting and you just want to kind of crunch data, really great. But for me, it was a bit like um, I didn't think I had the like really hard coding skill to uh, do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I felt like now I'd prefer something else um and then I found my job really through networking um Mm. yeah so I had uh I was um basically uh chairing a group um that looked used AI for the um purposes of um dementia research um using AI methods in imaging the brain um and this was a large network of researchers all across the world and also industry partners. So my current company was an industry partner. Um, mm. Literally ran into them at a, a, um, a networking drinks. Um, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had a, given a talk at this, at this event and then we were all at these after event drinks and then just got chatting to them, um, to my now bosses uh and yeah I just felt like oh this is really great because they do science <laughs> um, yeah that's they like do exactly super organic in in today's virtual yeah. you know networking world it's like an organic connection you actually had yeah yeah and I know I'm like really so I'm super pro networking because I think it's really you know I mean, it worked for me but um yeah also it was very yeah organic essentially because it was just like a conversation that like went on we realized, you know, my expertise fit really well with what they're doing. Yeah, that's super And then cool. just kept on from there. That's super cool. And so you're, I want to, I want to tear apart your role because it's like one of those roles that I have no idea what you do. So I'm really excited yeah. to hear like, what do you do and what's kind of your daily, I don't know, your daily task, but also like your big picture goal in your role. Um. Yeah. So I actually, I think it's, strikingly similar to academia funnily enough oh funny um, so yeah 
I, although the, the big difference, I guess, is more of a commercial lens and more of a strategic lens. Um, but day to day, so I would, I go to a lot of meetings um, with collaborators. Uh, we, we're in a number of like different consortiums, which involve mm. a lot of partners, industry partners, but also a lot of academic centres. Um, so we, yeah, so those are meetings where we're either discussing practical aspects of like data collection or how we're going to prepare data for analysis mm -hmm. or talking about, yeah. you know, what we found um, in our own um, analyses. Um, so there's that. And then there's a lot of data analysis. So analyzing data, preparing posters and things for conferences, writing papers. Um, yeah, very similar to hmm. academia in that sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then just a lot of working with um, with other people in the company on, you know, different areas of strategy for the company, whether it's like um, how we can get, how we can get towards regulatory approval for like um, our biomarkers, for instance. Oh, okay. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah, things like that. Um, so because we essentially are providing digital endpoints for, clinical trials that's kind of our main thing mm. um a lot of that involves working with regulators to try to understand you know what is going to be a valid biomarker um so if we see like a change in cognition for example associated with the drug um how can we how can we prove that that is valid um and we'll then get that drug approval so interest this sounds just like academia <laughs> This is really yeah. funny. <laughs> I yeah, mean, there's, really there's some aspects, obviously, that are different. But yeah. yeah, it sounds like you still get to really use a tool set that you are very comfortable with. Yeah, massively. Yeah. I mean, I make posters, I write papers. Yeah, work with work. Uh, the, the thing that is, I think, different in terms of the science is that um, I work a lot across different um diseases and things so that's a little bit different like I've right a little bit I mean you know as you get more senior in academia you, you do tend to find your collaborations are like massively varied right you end up on projects Definitely. on like things yeah so um in this I you know I work in schizophrenia I work in uh dementia um all kinds of different areas where our cognitive tasks are used mm -hmm. uh, but fundamentally it's you know just doing science really it's <laughs> awesome are you finding yeah. uh do you do you have a big team are you are you working kind of with a, a team that is in neuroscience specifically um or are you yeah. kind of working with other heads I don't know how best to say that yeah so we so I'm in the um R&D team um and so we've got um like my boss essentially is the chief scientist okay. um and then yeah, then we also have a chief technologist. So that's the kind of technology side of things. We do a lot of AI, um, a lot of uh, fundamentally our products are, you know, tech digital products. So, um, right, okay. so that side is covered. Yeah. And then we've got an a like an ML team and they work a lot on like speech biomarkers and things like that. Um, okay. And yeah. Yeah. So and, you know, pretty much everyone has PhDs. Um, yeah. In fact, I think everyone has PhDs. <laughs> Except maybe the software engineers, but yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Do you do a lot of, so it sounds like you do a lot of project managing, which maybe you did 
before this as well, but are there any kind of new skills you've really had to learn in this job? I know you've been there for a year. We just chatted about that offline, but are there any yeah. kind of new skills you've really had to hone in this gig compared to what you did in the past? Yeah, I think project management is is a lot more well-defined, I think. Like, um, so because you're you're basically interacting with other areas of the company, everything is a lot more like well-defined and there, are, um, which I really like actually is expectations, right? So it's not yeah. like in academia quite often because there are no expectations, it's really stressful. Like, am I supposed to have two papers or am I supposed to have eight papers? Deadlines and expectations are like nebulous. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Whereas this is like, okay, quarter one, this is what you should have output. And, you know, this is, these are the people expecting things. Um, mm -hmm. So all of that has been really interesting, but it kind of fits my personality, I think. Um, I quite like having defined things. Uh, and then the other side is the commercial side of things. So always kind of having a commercial lens on that. Ultimately, we aren't, we are a profit making company, a real private company. Sure. So, yeah, you have to bear and bear that in mind. So uh, sometimes when you kind of want to just go down a interesting analysis route and like <laughs> devote your life to this new thing, you have to bring it back to like, is this a good use of my time? Is there going to be a return on investment, etc.? Ooh, yeah, that would be a different brain space for me. I have never had to really think yeah. about that. Do you, no. so it's for profit. Do you do a lot of pitches to get new customers? Do you do like grant writing at all anymore? Like, is that, is yeah. that kind of your purview? Yes, we do. We do write grants and um, I do. So I, because I'm in r and I'm quite lucky in that any kind of pitching I do it tends to be for like uh, partnerships that are collaborative partnerships, essentially, rather mm -hmm. than like selling to customers. Um, so I've yeah, so I've done that. I've done that with 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 industry and with academia. Yeah. Um, and it's still slightly different to, you know, when you collaborate. I don't know, maybe maybe it's better, actually, when you collaborate in academia, I think, again, setting of expectations is rarely done right so you start this collaboration you're working together then the paper comes out and it's like suddenly this scramble of like who's the author who's the main author who's the last all that stuff right whereas here it's very much like this is what we're going to do we're going to have this all signed into contract we provide yeah. you with this for free you provide us with what patients or you know we're working with you we'll analyze the data we'll work together we set that all up from the beginning. So I quite like that, really. I kind of like that. Maybe I'll do yeah. that in my lab from now on. Just yeah. have a little contract <laughs> setting. Yeah, I do like, I mean, I know I know a couple of academics who, who actually do that from the beginning. It's like the hardest conversation to have. But like just from the very beginning, look, this is how much time we're going to spend. This is yeah. my energy. This is the output that we're going to get from it. I love transparency. So it sounds like ideal. Yeah. Why that, right. Those hard conversations. Yeah. I think, I mean, they could be hard for a variety of reasons, but things can change too. Yeah. I'm sure you guys revisit contracts and say, you know, this has changed on yeah, our exactly. end, you know, how is this going to yeah. shift everything? So yeah. it's not like that's something in stone forever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Not yeah. forever and ever. Well, I want to, I want to probe a little bit on 
on kind of work-life balance too, because that's something that people think about, right? In shifting from academia to another job. And some people think academia is flexible, some people don't. Um, But being a working parent, do you find, you know, this new gig is, is flexible and kind of supportive for you? I do, I do, yeah. I think it's probably... Um, it's very it's a lot more nine to five um mm. and so uh it's more because there are a lot of meetings and there's meetings constrained by time zones and things those right. things are less um but having said that you know you know in academia as well when you're working across time zones it's it's really difficult you sometimes are taking really late meetings <laughs> um and um but generally I don't I tend not to work weekends and I don't and for the first time in my life I take leave like properly whereas in academia I never really took I never was like I'm going away for these days I didn't even like you know get HR approval it'd just be like I'll just take the days when I whereas now I actually take that leave which actually I find is is better because I probably take more leave than I did when it was more flexible um, yeah probably I, I don't work yeah I don't work I don't work late either generally um and yeah, the, the only other thing is I, I yeah, was a, the crazy, like working with Australia or something time zone <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't miss that I did I do remember quite clearly when I first started in the company um I had a I had set up a meeting with a collaborator in Oxford and he was based in Oxford, but he, he was an academic and neurologist mm. and um, he also had kids. So he couldn't take this meeting until about nine o'clock. Um, so like, you know, kids are in bed. Yeah. Nine o'clock. Meeting. So I, so I said, okay, that's fine. Like we're completely used to that. Told one of my colleagues, are oh, we going to meet at nine o'clock? And he was like, why on earth are you meeting at nine o'clock? And I, then I realized, oh, actually, this is not a normal thing. Like your work <laughs> yeah. why are you setting up in at nine o'clock at night? And my yeah. brain was like, because because well, you need to have the meeting. So <laughs> gotta yeah. make it happen. Oh, that's yeah. funny. And that's when I realized actually that's quite like I don't think anyone would bat an eyelid if I had a late meeting in academia. Like it was just like, oh, this is when they're available, so this is when I'm gonna meet. <laughs> little perspective shift yeah it's like oh no no we work from yeah nine to five <laughs> yeah <laughs> appropriate hour <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but um I think I'm also quite lucky in that my company's been quite uh flexible with things and also my boss both my bosses have kids themselves mm. and are very um understanding of that kind of side of things and um, are also very much of the mindset and maybe this is because we have defined expectations but very much of the mindset like if you get your work done it doesn't matter when it's being done right yeah um, and because there is a an expectation or an actual output I can just get that work done whereas in academia it's like you know I feel like there's unless those expectations are set there's never you can never do enough. Like, I mean, you know, you can always do, you can always find more to do. <laughs> yeah, it's the hustle for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely the hustle. But I, uh, I don't know, sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't. But I think there's, there's a real 
self-motivation aspect that goes into academia because there really are no there are very few deadlines compared to like I've worked in in other gigs as well where it's very much a different perspective where it's like this thing is due at this time and for me just being very self-motivated can get you half of the way there but then there's also a lot of other things that get in the way like whatever if you're teaching or service or you know things like that and so people always ask like oh you just have to be self-motivated to succeed and it's like that's not necessarily it (laughs) like I'm sure it helps but it's not it's not the end-all be-all um, yeah yeah and no, I mean, I totally agree. that self that self-motivated side of things is I find really interesting because so when I've kind of gone into like startup land of mm-hmm. like you know building my own company that like that entrepreneurial side is like so incredibly close to academia to me it's amazing that essentially I, I really think most academics are basically like independent business owners essentially where your business is yourself yeah um, and you're hustling yeah it's so true especially when you're managing people managing grant money having to constantly get new money it's very yeah. similar yeah you're doing everything and you're and a lot of your success is based on just how much you put in really and then saying that also, there's a massive aspect of luck. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's a, lot, there's a lot we can't control as well. As yeah. I say this as I'm about to submit, you know, this grant for the fourth time that I'm like, well, yes. I'm pretty sure I addressed everything and it'll come back and they'll be like, no, we still don't want it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't know if that's luck or something like, else. Oh, sorry. I said, I'm not sure if that's luck or something else, but. Yeah. but uh, honestly that that ability to handle rejection that you learn in academia is like just sets you up for absolutely everything I I swear it's just you're like (laughs) when I talk to other people about you know the entrepreneurial journey and stuff and like raising funding and you know I'm like ah it's fine I'm so used to rejection (laughs) it's it's so true it's it's almost like I have some sociopathic tendencies like I get rejections and I'm like oh yeah that's great and I just keep moving on and people are like do you not have emotion do you not care yeah I care yeah but But dwelling is not going to help me yeah it's like and I've just become a faster processor the more rejections I get yeah I mean a few seconds to process it and we're we're moving on (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) Well, I want to I want to highlight some of the cool stuff you've done on LinkedIn as well. So you're talking about that briefly, but there's many people seeking I'm going to call it alternative academic routes who have mm. you know, science PhDs or similar. So can you tell me a little bit about what some of the things are that you've created to help people figure out that journey? Yeah, yeah. So um, I so I used to have quite a decent LinkedIn not LinkedIn Twitter community. Mm-hmm. um before it became rest next. in peace twitter rest in peace i know i'm so sad about that um <laughs> but yeah um so that's that sort of started um i realized there are a lot of people um who are you know considering other careers um i created a few like simple resources and then i created a course um largely based on the fact that one of the key things that moved me to okay I'm leaving academia was that I did a course 
um, for Oxbridge women, um, oh. actually, yeah, called Rising Wise, which was um, designed to kind of empower uh, women in STEM in Oxbridge who uh, who may be thinking about other careers or who may, you know, be staying in academia or whatever. It's just to like really empower them. Amazing, amazing course. Really made me for the first time ever think about what it what I really wanted, what my values were and what I genuinely wanted for my career and for my life. Um, and I just thought it was so excellent. Um, and it kind of inspired me to do this course. Um, and any time, so I've, I've always been quite vocal about, um, you know, like like I've always enjoyed mentoring and like helping people and I got to the point where it was I got so many requests I just couldn't like find the time to do it especially with kids and a startup and a job and all of that <laughs> so I created the course because I thought that I can help as many people like as possible kept getting the same questions over and over again so I was like I'll address all of this in the course and then also created a discord community that now has yeah about 300 people on um and again that's all all people who have who are interested in leaving academia or thinking about it or just exploring options and then also which is quite nice people who've already left so they are there to also give advice so it's not just me kind of giving advice so that's really nice there's just there just is a really big demand for it um and yeah, I also, I think one of the things that drove the the Discord community is that I was um, profiled in Nature as like one of the people who left acting. You know, there was this trend, particularly over COVID for like... I do uh, remember this, that's right. Yeah, yeah, for tweeting about, you know, I'm leaving academia. Yep. Yeah, and so so uh, this journalist covered, yeah, profiled me for 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 this to see what happened the great resignation that was it yeah so so yeah so off the back of that then I got again tons of requests for people asking for advice yeah and so I tried to now streamline it that you've got a community you've got a course there's resources um and if none of those things can you know help you out then you know there's me (laughs) eventually (laughs) With all the time that you have with your with startup and your job and <laughs> yeah. your family. Yes, definitely. Well, I will <laughs> link all of those in our show notes because they are super awesome. I was totally oh, creep- creeping on the course earlier today. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm like, your startup too, super cool. I mean, what inspired you to do your kind of parent? It's called Playgroup, right? Parenting kind Playroom. of startup. Yes. Playroom. Yeah. So, um, so that really is, is, was based on the fact that I am a working parent. I had these uh, young kids, three and six. When my daughter was younger, she would go to nursery. And because they're like pick up and drop off, it's not the same time. It's really hard to meet the other parents. Um, and yeah, I felt like it can be quite isolate, quite lonely to be a parent. You're trying to manage your job and your kids. And then they've yeah. got all these activities and you're trying to keep them entertained and um, yeah. I feel like there's tons of tech that is out there for like your work, right? Like Slack and like all of your calendar management and all of the things that will kind of help your work life be a little smoother. None of that exists for um, for parents. Mm-hmm. So um, essentially that was the aim is that you have this app 
um, immediately connects you to other parents in your nursery, provides Ooh, you with cool. all the tech that you need in your life. So if you're organizing a birthday party, for example, you can really easily invite the kids in the nursery yeah. um, via their parents. You can have all their information about their like allergies and all of these things. So if you have a play date, you know, okay, mm-hmm. that kid's allergic to nuts. Oh, that's smart. To- yeah. That kind of thing. Just managing your calendar with your partner or your um or the grandparents. All of these things that I don't know, I guess people are using like 10 different apps and that sounds I was just about to say I literally have like four apps that do yeah. only some of that. Yeah, that's what I was gonna comment yeah. earlier. It's yeah, like- exactly. Yeah. And WhatsApp, which you know, whenever I talk to parents, they're like, Oh, that's such a burden, because then you get like an invite on there and then it's like scrolling to find stuff and yeah it's just another burden (laughs) and group conversations are a special form of table yes oh my god yes I selectively only have like three in my life that are allowable group conversations (laughs) on whatsapp or text messages everything else is going on mute oh excellent I oh I'm just so overwhelmed by the amount of group messages I have going I on. cannot even with it yeah I feel <laughs> but it's so true about the being lonely thing with being a parent it's it's really real I was texting with my cousin this morning where she called herself a glorified uber driver her kids are a little bit older but okay. she's like they have better social lives than I have ever had she's right. like I spent you know, four hours in a car getting them to and from because they can't drive yet and a variety yeah, of yeah. other like, yeah that's it yeah, yeah it's, it's weirdly isolating <laughs> yeah it is yeah and yet everybody is doing the same like and the other thing the other thing that's really um inspired it was the fact that a lot of people will go on the major open social networks so like instagram facebook um tiktok they will share pictures of their kids and try to communicate with people on there and the, the the problem with that is then you've got this massive digital footprint for the children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and you don't know who is seeing those images and how those images are shared onwards. Um, mm-hmm. So the hope is that you can create a kind of community of people that you actually know that you want to, you know, share images, to share pictures of the kids with, share um, yeah. events, parties, play dates, all that stuff with. Yeah, that's security. Yeah. Yeah. She was so, real yeah absolutely yeah. real well I'm I'm also aware that it's almost your hour to not be working so sticking <laughs> to the conversation of <laughs> nine to five um I always ask people you know where do you see yourself either professionally personally or otherwise in five or ten years I don't know if you've thought of that recently you probably did a lot when you were interviewing but maybe not recently <laughs> yeah that's a really <laughs> good one um I think uh so where I stay in my current job I'd want to be a chief scientist um uh, in a biotech um but ideally I'd want to just be CEO of Playroom and have that you know be my full-time job <laughs> that'd be fun fingers crossed <laughs> but yeah I think either way probably yeah, some sort of independent work or, or you know, full-time consulting. So I also do freelance consulting. Um, so that would be maybe the other the other alternative. So it's all kind of, I don't know what kind of answer that is. 
anything and everything <laughs> everything <laughs> everything All of well you've stuff. already given tons of tips throughout networking and otherwise <laughs> is there is there a top tip you would give someone doing maybe some life searching moments in their PhD immediately after that might help guide them with their next step I don't know if someone gave you yes. a top tip back in the day yeah a, a huge thing for me was to really think deeply about what my values are and my passions are um, and I think it's so underrated to spend time thinking deeply about that because very often you're like next thing next thing next thing got to get the yeah. PhD the postdoc the grant the fellowship but like just stopping and thinking deeply and even if it's even if it's like oh, this is the path I want to go down this kind of traditional academic path just having more intentionality in that so that you, you're thinking okay this is you know I don't want to be bogged down by this kind of thing I don't like doing maybe I want to do more teaching maybe I want to have a work-life balance like this so just being much more intentional um I think is really really important yeah we live in a world of fast thinking and fast science right? how fast can you yeah. get things the door how fast can you start this collaboration how fast can you get this grant money and it's yeah. hard to take the time to feel confident slow deep thinking yeah yeah it really is it really is and when you have that intentionality then you know it makes because a big thing I always struggled with was like opportunities there's like endless opportunities for things and you can very easily get overwhelmed because you're like okay fine I'll take on this and this and this like maybe mm -hmm. this will lead to a, you know, really yep. good paper. Yep. Where if you're very intentional, then you can shut out a lot of that noise and be like, okay, that's not what I need. I'm focusing on this. So Yeah, this yeah. is my choice. I, yeah. I love my uh, quote, no committee, N-O committee, oh, where yeah. you've got people who you know will truly tell you like, that's not a good idea for you. Like, no, because a lot of people are just yeah. wanting to facilitate you doing everything, right? If you're interested, they're like, oh, absolutely do it. But I'm a big proponent of having people that you are confident in will be like, no, that's not, Yeah, I know you, that's not a good thing for you. So the no yes. committee is a strong, oh, <laughs> strong asset. Definitely, so, so needed. I'm one of those people who will like say yes to something. And then when it happens, I'm like, oh, why did I say yes to this? <laughs> Whereas you need yeah. that person to go, no. <laughs> I know in the future you're going to be annoyed about this. <laughs> yeah, hard no. We'll just have build that yeah, no committee just, up. No, okay. Future you will thank you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I've appreciated us making this happen. And it's uh, for our listeners, this is like the fourth rescheduling because we both have kids <laughs> and lives. So I want to be real yeah. about this. Uh, <laughs> life happens and hey, we made it. Yeah, right. <laughs> thank you well, for <laughs> Super appreciate seeing you, uh, quote, in real life again. It's been a while. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Really good to see you. Maybe we'll see each other at a conference sometime because we still yeah. overlap. But... Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks, Michelle. And I will put all of your links in the show notes. And oh, amazing. I'm sorry for all the people who will find you on LinkedIn after this. <laughs> <laughs> That's More networking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next time.